<coughs> we are reading in the second half of our Bibles from a letter written by Paul to the church at Ephesus called, this letter is called Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, if you're using your own Bible, if you're using the church Bible, sorry, it's page 1173. Page 1173. And we begin our reading at verse 1. And in those days, when you wrote a letter, you didn't start off, Dear John, and you started off from Harry, or from whoever um, you were that was writing. And so Paul here begins, From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, that's Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons in Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together, under one head, even in Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Well, turn please in um, your Bible or in the church Bible uh, to Ephesians chapter 1, page 1173 in the church Bible. Page 1173. 
We come this morning to our first address or sermon uh, in this letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church at Ephesus. And last time we tried to familiarize ourselves with this church as we learn about it in Acts chapters 18 and 19. And uh, last time we thought about Ephesus, the city, the place where the church uh, came to exist. We thought about the beginnings of the church and how the Lord used Paul, a church planting minister, used Aquila and Priscilla, a Christian couple, and used various other individuals to speak of Jesus Christ and make him known in this city. So then people from the city were saved. And they were added to the church. They started attending the church. And they became part of the church. And they were from all kinds of backgrounds. Some were masters or employers. Others were slaves and, and employees. Some had come from a very religious background, the Jews, and others had come from a background where they had worshipped many false gods. And there was men, and there were women, and there were boys and girls. So a very diverse group. And in a sense, we have a little uh, foretaste of that, or a sign of that, in our own congregation this morning. The age range of our congregation the backgrounds from which you come. Some of you have come from very strong Christian homes where you are brought up by believing parents, brought up to hear of Jesus from your earliest days. Others of you in church this morning, you haven't had that privilege. And perhaps you might feel a little on the outside. But this letter shows us that you're exactly the kind of person that God in Christ and through our congregation wants to bring right into the heart of his family. And he wants to save you too. And he wants to add you too to his church. Now I'm sure all of us at home have got DVDs. You boys and girls, you'll have DVDs. Um, maybe The Sound of Music or Beauty and the Beast or some other Walt Disney uh, film. And uh, the great beauty of the DVD, like the video, is you can watch it again and again. But then they've added something extra to DVDs in recent years. And it's at the end, once you've watched the film. And it allows you uh, to go into particular scenes, and to, you're taken behind that scene, and you're shown how it was all put together. How it was shot, as it were, and filmed. And I know our children love watching those excerpts of how this film was put together. And it can be fascinating. Well, here in verses 3 to 14, that's what Paul is doing. He's shown us, or we've learned in Acts chapter 18 and 19, about the church beginning. That's the film the story of the church. But here now Paul takes the Christians and Ephesus, and the, uh, at Ephesus 
behind the scenes. And he says, I want you now to understand how God has put all of this together. How in fact it has happened that in time, you men, you women, you boys, you girls, have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't really because of Paul. It wasn't really because of Aquila and Priscilla. But rather it was because of things that God, that I, God, was doing. That's what uh, Paul is wanting to teach them here. Their salvation doesn't rest in Paul. Their salvation doesn't rest on themselves. It lies with God. On what God has done for them. And God has done in them. Through his son, the Christ. And that is summed up in verse 3. Blessed be the God, our praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Paul now lifts them, as it were, from their seats in the church in Ephesus, and he takes them in a kind of space shuttle to heaven and he wants to show them every spiritual blessing they have comes from God and it comes in Christ. And so this morning we want to think together about every spiritual blessing in Christ. Those of us who are Christians this morning, you already are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You this morning who are here in church and you're not yet a Christian, here are the blessings that God wants to give you in Jesus Christ as you gather with us in worship and as you Gather with us in our church. The first blessing, uh, and if you don't understand the title, uh, bear with me. Hopefully it will become clear as we proceed. The first blessing is elected in Christ. You who are Christians this morning, why are you Christians? It is because you were elected in Christ. Now what does that phrase mean? Well quite simply it means God the Father chose in eternity that's before the world began he chose who would be saved. And that makes perfect sense. Heaven is God's place. The earth is God's creation. On what basis should people who live on the earth go to dwell with God in heaven? Who should decide that? Should it be the people on the earth? Or should it be God? Who decides who should have the right to decide who comes into your house? Should anybody be allowed to come into your house? 
Are you happy if, when you're out of church this morning, you go back this afternoon and you find that people have broken into your house? Or if somebody came to your door this afternoon and forced their way into your house, would you be comfortable with that? No, we wouldn't. Because we'd say, this is our house. We decide whom we bring into our house. And in the same way, it is up to God. And it's right that God should decide who comes into his house, which is heaven. And that's what Paul is saying here. Humanity, um, uh, that God decides, election means we're entirely dependent on God for spiritual life. We're entirely dependent on God if you and I are to go to heaven. Salvation is completely God's doing. We do not choose God. God has chosen us and gave us to Christ. Look at how Paul puts it in verse 4. For he chose us in him. That's he, God, chose us in Christ. Before the foundation of the world. In other words, before God made the world. Before a single person existed on the earth. And God, knowing who would exist, and knowing that man would be sinful because of Adam's sin in Eden, God, knowing those things, chose for himself a people from all the sinful human beings that would ever live, and he gave them to Christ. And Christ, as we'll see later, would die to save him. Now this is a scriptural teaching that we don't welcome. And we don't easily accept. Perhaps as I've been preaching on this this morning, you've been thinking, well that's not fair. We like to think, we decide. We like to think we are in control, that we call the shots. But that's not the case. God is in control. And God is the one who decides. Now, because uh, we don't like this scripture teaching, some people deny it completely. And they say, well, God simply provides salvation in Christ. He's a bit like a shopkeeper. You go down to Tesco and they provide lots of products and they're there and offer. But the decision lies with the shopper. The decision lies with the individual, like a customer. The cust- you decide. That's what some people teach. But that's wrong. Because here again in verse 5, Paul says, He, that is God, predestined us. In other words, God decided in advance. And he he predestined for adoption in his family. In other words, to be brought into his family. So we can't deny it. We can't say this truth doesn't exist. Nor can we try to explain it away as some try to do in this way? 
They say, well, God knows all things. And God therefore knew in advance who would accept Christ. And so God chose those whom he knew would accept Christ. But again, that goes against Scripture. Because here we're told that God's choice was not based on anything in the person. We're told again and again, for example, the end of verse 5, that he, he predestined us in accordance with his pleasure and will. Uh, and it wasn't because he saw something in us that made us meant we were worthy, because there was nothing good in us. God's choice is free. And it's undeserved. It's a bit like our children have been all in a school classroom. And the school inspector comes in. The moment the teacher's dread. And the school inspector doesn't know one pupil from another. Doesn't know what their ability is. But he will want to ask a question or he'll ask a question and then he'll point and he'll choose who will answer that question. He doesn't make his choice on the basis this pupil has got 99% for his first five years in primary school in maths. He makes his choice without anything in the pupil himself to say this is a good pupil to choose or to ask this question. So we're being taught here that we have this spiritual blessing in Christ of being elected in Him, of being chosen by Him. Now, how is this a spiritual blessing? How is it a blessing? Well, Paul um, reminds us here that it humbles us. It humbles us. Because it's not on the basis of merit that someone is a Christian. And I can't suggest that I am better than any of you this morning. And you cannot say to the person beside you, well, I am more worthy and I am better than you. You see, it levels us all. And it humbles us all equally. And it means there can be no room for pride. There can be no room for jealousy among believers in a church or within a church. Paul puts it at the end of the verse 6. My salvation, your salvation is the praise of the glory of his grace. It's all of his grace. It humbles us. I want you to imagine Somebody rescued from drowning. Who should be praised? The person who was drowning? I rescued myself? Or the person who did the rescue? Who should be praised? In the same way, who should receive all the praise? For saving sinners. The sinner. You. 
me or God. It calls it, it humbles us, but also it calls us to holiness. Look at verse 4. He chose us, and go then to the very end of the verse, to be holy and blameless in his sight. To be holy and blameless in his sight. Why did God look upon you and upon me, who are Christians this morning, and what is it that he wants to accomplish in us? He wants us to become holy. He wants us to become like Jesus in his life more and more. And so that means, fellow Christian, we can't say, well, I'm one of the elect of God and I can live whatever way I like. Because I'm elect, it doesn't matter. It does matter. And in fact, if we're not being holy, if you, if I, as a professing Christian, were not pursuing holiness, forget about thinking that you have been elected of God or that you are saved in Christ. Because neither of those things are being evidenced in your life at this time. That's the first spiritual blessing. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. And you see this is full of encouragement to us. Because it reminds me that salvation, my salvation does not depend upon me. Sometimes when I'm talking to non-Christians, they will say to me, I would love to become a Christian. But here's the problem. I could never keep it up. Well, that's not the problem. Because if you, if I, if we become Christians because God has chosen us, then God will keep us. And we will keep it up to the end. Let's notice then, secondly, redeemed in Christ. Redeemed in Christ. This is our second great blessing. Now here's the problem that we're dealing with now. So God has chosen a people in Christ before the world began. He's chosen knowing that every single person descended from Adam would be utterly sinful and wicked and unworthy of his kingdom. But he wants some of them to become his children. How can that happen? God is holy and every last human being is sinful by nature and by deed on account of Adam's first sin. That's why we get jealous. That's why we get, we break, um, we get into broken relationships. That's why we tell lies. Every evil that we can mention, everything that we don't like about ourselves or about others. Why is it so? It's because of sin from Adam and in Adam. So how can a holy God bring from this sinful humanity people into his family? That's the problem that's now being dealt with in verses 7 to 12. And look at what Paul writes in verse 7. In 
him. Literally it is, in whom. It's referring back to Christ. In Christ we have redemption through his blood. Paul is speaking again of Christ. And he's speaking now of that work that the Father required Christ to do when he came to this earth as Jesus at Bethlehem and grew up and at 30 years of age went around teaching and then at the end went to the cross. His purpose was to redeem, to make it possible for sinful human beings to become God's children. Enter heaven. Be part of God's family. So what precisely did Jesus have to do? What does this redemption entail? Well, redemption is a commercial term. In those days, in the ancient world, you went into a marketplace and there were slaves there. And someone with means, someone with wealth, would come along and pay the price demanded for the freedom of the slave. And then as a free man, they would serve their new owner. And that's the beautiful picture that lies behind redemption. The Bible says, you and I are slaves. Slaves to sin. By nature, slaves to the devil. And he's a tyrant to serve. A tyrant. And he brings misery. And he whips us every day of our lives. And he brings pain into our lives. That's who we serve by nature. But the Christ came down from heaven. And he redeemed. He came into the marketplace of sinful humanity. And he paid the price. So that you and I and others could be freed, released from this tyranny. And this tyrant of a master. And then be free to serve the new master, God. And what is the price that Jesus had to pray? To free us from our slavery. Well, it was a high price. It was a price beyond our ability, beyond our means, beyond our range. It was beyond our wildest dreams and our best efforts. Here's what Jesus had to do. He had to live a sinless human life. In a sin-filled world. And then he had to give up that sinless life on the cross. For sinners. So Jesus lived a sinless life. He died a sin-bearing, sin-pain, sin-canceling death. So that you and I become children of God. Not through doing good. Not through trying our best. 
but only through the Christ who lived and died and rose again. Look at verse 7 where Paul puts it like this. In him we have redemption. That's in the Christ. We are set free from our slavery to sin. We're set free from the penalty for our sin through his death or his blood. So that we have the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Is that not a wonderful blessing? Is that not a wonderful blessing? And you who are not Christians here this morning, this is what God wants to do in your life. Through the Christ. He wants to free you from that tyrant, the devil. And from all the sin that is there in your life, that is destroying your life, that is going to take you to hell if it's not dealt with. He says, I offer you my son who died for the forgiveness of sins. Trust in him. Receive him. And you will become the child of God. Repent of your sin. Turn from it to him. And he will forgive you. That's a wonderful blessing. But you see, Paul doesn't end there. Because he goes on then in verses 8 to 12. And he looks beyond the now where we have the forgiveness of sins. And he looks to the future day when all these people that have been adopted into the family of God will be one huge family. He's looking, you see, to the return of Christ. The second coming of Christ. When all for whom Christ died will be gathered together. And Paul speaks now of these blessings in the future. And he says these blessings in the future will be experienced and enjoyed by all believers from all ages, from all the nations of the earth. Look at verse 10. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. That's the time of Christ coming again. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head in Christ. And here's what I want us to, to grasp this morning. You who are already Christians. If you remember nothing else from this sermon, remember this. This passage is saying to you as a Christian, it simply gets better and better and better and better as a Christian. Your blessings in Christ now, they're very real. They're very precious. You have peace with God now. You have the forgiveness of your sins now in Christ. You have access. You can go to God in prayer. You can pour out your heart and bring your troubles and your problems to him. You have Christ with you now. You have Christ in you now by the Holy Spirit. You have Christ for you now in this world. But your blessings get better. And they get greater. Because when you die as a Christian. Then you're going to enter into greater blessings. You're going to be perfect in holiness. No more tears. No more sorrows. 
No more struggle with sin. No more weakness in the body. No more temptation. That's in the future. But even when you enter heaven at the moment of your death, even then, that is not your blessings at their fullest and their greatest. Yes, they're now so much greater, or or then they're so much greater than they are now, but they're going to be even greater again when Christ comes again. Because then all his people will be together. And what are we going to receive then? Well, we're going to receive new bodies. New bodies that will join to our perfect souls. And we're going to receive a new heavens and a new earth. And this old earth, and there's lots of beauty in it. And there's lots of blessings in it, but it's not even going to be a shadow of the new heavens and the new earth. Isaiah talks about in that new heavens and new earth, the lamb and the lion will lie down together. There's going to be no disagreements, no sickness in our bodies, no um, Murders such as we saw and massacres such as we saw this past week in America. Going to be untold blessing. And you see what we have now, if I can put it like this, is good. All those blessings we have now is good, are good. And when you die, your blessings are better. But when Christ comes again, the blessings are going to be the best and the fullest that we can ever have. And you see, it's that reason that makes Paul say in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have blessings now, we have blessings when we die, And we've even the greatest and fullest blessings of all when Christ comes again. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you will have an impression that to be a Christian is dull and boring. It's to lose out. Christians don't do this. They don't do that. They don't go there. It's a whole series of don'ts, don'ts, don'ts. That is the lie of the devil. Yes, there are don'ts in the Christian life. But there are blessings. There are blessings that far outweigh everything that you have to give up now. There are blessings untold now and into the future. And if you're not a Christian... And those of you who are Christians this morning, I want you to take away the simple thought, being a Christian simply gets better and better and better. And I want you to remember that, fellow Christian, this morning, as you struggle in life. Many of you here this morning who are Christians, 
life is a considerable struggle from day to day. You struggle with ill health. You struggle with difficult circumstances in your workplace. Uncertainty. You struggle with difficult situations in your family. And sometimes we can almost feel overwhelmed. And then with the battle within us. Our own remaining sin. And what a battle that is. Every day. Every day. There's a battle with the world. Every day. But as you struggle and as you battle, remember this. Being a Christian simply gets better and better and better. Let's notice then thirdly and finally this morning. We thought about elected in Christ. We thought about redeemed in Christ. We want to think now for a few moments about sealed in Christ. Sealed in Christ. And we've talked with the boys and girls about this. So hopefully we've grasped this and we can deal with this a little bit more quickly. But perhaps you're sitting here thinking. You're saying, yeah, that's fine, Harry, to talk about it gets better when you get to heaven. And it gets best of all when Christ comes again. But Harry, I'm not sure. I'll make it to heaven. In fact, I'm not sure I'll make it through this day as a Christian. I'm not sure I'll be able to keep the faith to the end. I'm not sure I'll be able to run the race. Perhaps there are days when you feel you're in danger of giving up the faith. It's so tough. Battling against the old sins. Living in this body that pulls you down again and again in your faith. Daily living in a world that's hostile to Christ and those who trust Him. And you say, can I keep going? Will I make it through this day? Not to mention make it to the end of my life as a Christian. Do you ever think like that? Or am I odd? Am I the only one who has ever had those kinds of thoughts? Will I ever make it to the end to enter the inheritance of heaven? And the best blessings of all when Christ comes. And you see, the wonderful thing here is, Paul leaves us in no doubt as to the answer to those questions. In verse 13, in whom also you were sealed. It's plural. In whom also all of you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying is this. God didn't just plan this wonderful salvation in eternity. And then send Christ to the cross uh, to secure it for it somehow then to falter at some later point no he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit Christ has a seal on each of his people the Holy Spirit of promise and this Holy Spirit who indwells every believer 
He will strengthen you when you feel weak. He will empower you against temptation. He will point you to Christ. He will teach you Christ. He will lead you to Christ. He will reveal you to, to you uh, Christ all the days in your life. It's a powerful, powerful picture. And a powerful truth. And you see, in those days, if you'd have been a businessman, and when you had your merchandise all produced in your factory, which was basically your own workshop in the back of your house or whatever, and it was going off to another land, it was put in a ship. And you didn't have computer labels in those days that you could stick in the box the address to which it was going. Or you didn't have the scanners that they bring now when you're signing for a parcel uh, in the Royal Mail's delivery. What they had was seals. And every merchant had his own distinctive seal and everything that belonged to him when it was put in that boat carried his mark. And so his boxes always reached their destination. Always arrived because of the seal. And Christ has set a seal upon every believer, the Holy Spirit. The moment you became a Christian, you received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an afterthought. The Holy Spirit doesn't come days or weeks or months or years after salvation. The Holy Spirit comes in the very moment, in the very act of salvation itself. He's not a second blessing or a tenth blessing. He is the first blessing. And we are sealed with him. And the wonderful thing is, like that cargo going on the ship, we're going on a journey to heaven and will arrive in the port of heaven because of the seal the Holy Spirit he points us to Christ and keeps us for Christ and in verse 14 Paul uses another illustration he says who is the guarantee Literally, it is the deposit of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. You've all been in the shop and you've bought a new washing machine and they're going to deliver it and they say to you, we need a deposit. 10% or whatever. And you take out your wallet and you hand out 10%. And what's it doing? It's saying, I am definitely buying this. And the other 90% will come whenever you deliver that washing machine to my door. And what's God saying? The Holy Spirit is the deposit. The 10% that we have now. And he's the guarantee of everything, all those blessings that await you when you die and go to heaven, and all those greater blessings still that await us when Christ comes again. And you see, we can't be lost. You cannot be lost. 
Because you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Is it any wonder that Paul says, blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian. If you're not here this morning, we say to you, Jesus Christ stands before you. And he says, come to me. Receive me and receive in me the forgiveness of your sins, eternal life. And Paul uses phrases here. He says, we trusted, you trusted, we heard, you heard. That's you this morning. You're hearing the word. You're hearing Christ this morning. And you have to trust. And as you trust, you're redeemed. Your sins are cancelled. And as you trust you're receiving the Holy Spirit and you're sure and certain to continue as a Christian and to end up in heaven itself. Fifteen times in this section Jesus Christ is mentioned. And the phrase in Christ occurs eleven times. Here is the secret men and women to a life that is right with God, a life that is happy and fulfilled, a life that is in heaven and enriched to all eternity. It is to be in Christ, to be saved by Him. Amen. Let's our heads. Let's pray. <coughs> our God and our Father in heaven, our minds just cannot take it all in that you, the great eternal God, the God who is holy, the God who has made all things, the God who needs nothing and who needs no one, that you would send your Son, the second person, Christ, to this earth. To take sin upon himself on the cross. So that sinners like us could be saved and redeemed from our sin. And that would be wonderful in and of itself. But it's only the beginning. Because you have heaven laid up for your people. And then you're going to send Christ again. To gather all the people of God together. Those alive and those dead. Those in heaven will come with him. Those in the earth will be gathered to him. And then the blessings will be even greater again. The greatest of all. Help us to hear your word to us this morning. And to believe it. And to know that as we hear it. And receive it into our hearts. And trust in the Christ. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And we will reach heaven. And we will enjoy all these blessings. Not because of any good thing in us. 
but because of your grace from eternity and in time shown to us in Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Our closing song of praise is number 89. 89. Um, We're singing.